0: Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. Today we're looking at the parable of the dishonest manager and wondering what is it exactly we owe God? This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? And he answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? he replied a hundred containers of wheat so the manager said to him take your bill and make it 80 and his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light and i tell you make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone they may welcome you into the eternal homes Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If, then, you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, Or be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and wealth. Please be seated. So we're mostly a mature crowd. How many here remember uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary? Puff the Magic Dragon, you know? Yep. Right. So if we remember Peter, Paul, and Mary, they were a folk trio, two guys and a girl, Peter, Paul, and Mary. And they sang folk songs back in the, in the 1960s when that was really like popular music. And the thing about folk music is, as though it's often with sort of catchy tunes, it usually has a impactful meaning in the lyrics. Right? When you are saying folk music, you're really speaking truth to power, as they would say. Now, in the mid-60s, Peter, Paul, and Mary released a song It's one of my favorites. It's called, I Dig Rock and Roll Music. And it's an awesome song, mostly because it uses the word dig. Um, <laughs> It'd be even awesomer if it could work in the word groovy, but it doesn't. At any rate, so the tenor of this song is I did I dig rock and roll music and it kind of lists some popular artists of the time and, and talking about what made them so popular. So it mentions it mentions uh, the mamas and the papas, and it mentions the Beatles and a guy named Donovan, who's an Irish person you may or may not remember. Oh, wait, anyway, wait. all right, all right. Oh yeah, we know that guy. Anyway. <laughs> And, and the thing is about this song is it's actually a dig, right? It's talking about how shallow and meaningless pop music was of that era. And it, and it has some actually somewhat unkind things to say about these various artists by sort of evoking what made them popular and showing that it was, uh, you know, shallow, right? And the giveaway is kind of in the last verse. And I wrote it down because I'm going to make sure I get it right. And in the last, I'm not going to sing it because nobody wants that. (laughs) It says, I think I could say something, if you know what I mean. But if I really say it, the radio won't play it. Unless I lay it between the lines. Which is to say that the only way you can say something meaningful in pop rock music compared to folk music is to hide it and make it so obscure that no one will actually get it. And I bring this up because I'm pretty sure that they are channeling Jesus here when they write that. Because this parable really doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to us. right? Because here is the scenario. You have someone who works for you. It turns out they're cheating you. Skimming off the top, whatever. They're squandering your wealth and you bring this person into your office and you say, I have discovered that you have been cheating me, and so I'm going to fire you. But before they can actually be fired, they go to all the people who owe you money, and they say, you only have to pay half, here, let me fix your bill so it looks like you don't owe as much as you need, I do. Right? So he cuts the, the jars of wheat and the jars of olive oil from 100 to 50 or from 100 to 80. Right, And so the person who's been cheating you, because they've learned you're going to fire them for their cheating, cheats you more. Now, imagine yourself in this situation. How would you feel when you discovered that the person you're firing for cheating you has decided to cheat you some more? you'd probably be angry, because that's kind of how we are. That's how we react to those kind of situations. But in this story that Jesus tells, ostensibly about the kingdom of God, you, the person who's being cheated, thinks that the person who's cheating you more is really clever. And you say really nice things to them, like, wow, that's really smart of you to cheat me more. Good job. (laughs) that doesn't really make any sense right that's how that's not how our world works when you discover people are cheating you and you call them on it and then they cheat you some more you don't congratulate them but that's what the story does and I think if we if we If we look at just the story, it seems a little unclear. But if we look at the context, right? Where this story is in the whole of Luke's gospel, I think it begins to make maybe a little more sense. Right? Because Jesus is telling this story, this parable, in response to the Pharisees' complaints that he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He spends time with the unrighteous the unworthy, the irredeemable, instead of with good people. And so Jesus tells several stories in response to this. The other story in this section that we probably all know is the parable of the prodigal son, right? Where the son squanders his inheritance, goes away to a far country, and there's a famine, and he comes back. And instead of of being punished what does his father do? He welcomes him with open arms and throws a big party. Also, not how most of us would respond in that situation. And so what Jesus is getting at here is the reckless generosity of God. Now, the reason I think a lot of us act that way is because we, that just makes sense to us, right? When we people cheat us, we, we want to punish them. That's that's how we normally react. And and we contrast this with the psalm today. The psalm today is describing the situation at the destruction of Jerusalem. The Babylonians have, have overrun the city. They've torn down the temple and the altar. They've killed indiscriminately across the city. And the psalmist says... How long will you be angry, O God? Will your fury blaze like fire forever? And and the thing is, is that when we think about God, right? And when the Old Testament talks about God, and we think about Jesus, our belief, our claim, our central claim and faith is that, that God the Creator, God the Father, is exactly the same as Jesus. That the two are inseparable. They are so much alike, we cannot tell the difference. And as Christian people, as people who claim Christ's name as our very own, it's important for us to look at the world through the lens of Jesus' life. And when we think about Jesus and the stories that we know about him and, and what he did in the world and how he acted, can you imagine him responding with fury and anger and indiscriminately killing people. Anyone? No, that's, that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't go around smiting. And so as Christians, we have to think that maybe, maybe, maybe God the Father doesn't go around smiting either. And that the reason that the ancient Israelites interpreted their misfortune as God's fury is because that's how they would act. Right? In the same way that if we found someone cheating us, we would want to punish them. The Israelites, who were frankly not very faithful, constantly worshiping other gods, forgetting the good things that God has done for them, all of the normal, terrible human things, they deserve punishment, truthfully. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is that's not how the kingdom of God works. That the good don't prosper and the evil get punished. It doesn't always work that way. Bad things happen to good people, wicked people have great things happen to them. It's a confusing, mixed up world. But in the midst of all that, our God is reckless. In love, and mercy, and grace, and forgiveness. That God is not our creditor. We don't owe a debt. Right? I remember like in the Lord's Prayer, there's a different version than the one we usually use where we ask to be forgiven our debts. Good news! They're forgiven! Because Christ Jesus is our Savior and not our creditor. That we, just like the Israelites, are sometimes faithless. And we, we worship other gods like we don't worship the balls in our culture, but money or status or prestige. And what Jesus is telling us is that you live in this mixed up, confused world where it's impossible to separate yourself from human sin. And so he urges us to remember that love that God has and in the midst of this sinful world in which we exist, to still do our very best. To use our best skills and abilities to transcend the sinful systems in which we find ourselves. Right To make friends with ill-gotten wealth. Because it's, it's probably the best that we can do. And this, this reckless generosity of God is exampled in Jesus' own life. What, is, what does Jesus do? He, he walks around healing people, making them whole. He, he proclaims the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He, he meets every person and respects them as an individual and, and hears their story and responds... their needs. That's what Jesus does. And the only time that Jesus ever gets angry, the only time that Jesus ever gets angry is when he is confronted with those who would use faith and the love of God for their own gain, right? When he complains about the money changers in the temple, his problem isn't with temple worship or temple sacrifice. It's with those who would take advantage of the faithful for their own benefit, And not for God's. And so as Christian people, our invitation is to respond to the world in the same way that God does with reckless, abundant love. To see people as Jesus does as as individuals worthy of our time and our effort. Even the tax collectors and the sinners. And to be with them, and to meet their needs as best we can, one at a time, if need be. And to not lose hope, to not lose hope in the faith of the sinful evil systems that we confront and find ourselves mired in from time to time. To hold fast to the good news that Jesus offers, and to be agents of love in the world, continuing the work of Jesus Christ. That's our highest calling. It's not to remember all of the rules or the fifth commandment, which is honor your mother and father, by the way. But to remember the example of Jesus' sacrificial love and to live the same way. Amen.